you know, uh, what, what uh, Lulu was talking about, this change that happens, it's actually as big a change as from turning from a statue into a real man. It's a complete transformation, and that's actually what I want to talk about this morning as well. Um, just as the ushers are receiving the little cups, you can place them to the, pass them to the edges of the row. Uh, my name is Kylie. I'm part of a team. Welcome to One Heart. Uh, hope you're having a great morning and that you'll stay around afterwards and join us for a cup of tea and, and connect a little bit more. Uh, shout out to all the people listening to the podcast, wherever you are, in your car or your lounge or wherever you are at the moment, if anyone ever listens to this. Good. Like us on Facebook? Yep. Uh, okay, so I want to start by asking a question. Have you ever met someone, this is not a trick question, have you ever met someone who says, follow me, follow me, come here, follow me, and then just stands there? No, not a trick question. Uh, so when people say, follow me, what are they trying to do? They're always just, it's pretty basic, isn't it? They're trying to get you to go from where you are to come to their specific destination, aren't they? Follow me means let's go over to here, to this place. So have you ever stopped to wonder... All through the gospel, Jesus says, follow me to the disciples, and he says it to us as well, follow me. We call ourselves followers of Jesus. Have you ever actually asked yourself, where are we following him to? What, what is really the point of following Jesus, and where is this guy leading us? Where are we following him to? What does following Jesus mean? And I think a lot of people think, oh, well, that means following him to heaven. Jesus is leading us to heaven. But that's not quite right, is it? Because what does that say about this life? If all there is is kind of this rush to get to heaven, then that sort of discounts this life somehow. And um, it's this life becomes something that we just have to kind of get through to get to heaven, which is where it all begins. And I think we feel inherently that that's not right. And also... Um, it's not really what we find in the Bible. The whole biblical story is, is God reaching in and intertwining his life with people's lives and calling them to, to love him and connect with him and to love each other. So it, there's something about this life as well. It's not all just about Jesus' goal isn't like, come on, we'll run through this bit and get to heaven and then begin. So he's not just follow me to heaven. Some other people think that he meant, follow me, I've got really good advice. And that is a little bit true. God has, Jesus has really good advice. But again, if you read the gospel, the gospel means good news. So that's all the, all the story of Jesus. If you hear it, if you read it, it's not just about Jesus giving good advice. Jesus is not in the business of just helping us to have a happy life. Uh, that when you read the gospel, actually a, a response, a significant response is demanded of you, not by me, but by the word and by your own spirit as you read it. What is this guy saying? Jesus says all this stuff. He's raising people to the, to, uh, from life from death. The response is, do I believe that this is true? It's demanded of us as we read it. Do I believe this? And then if I do... What am I going to do about it? How then shall I live? And it, it includes this major change that Lulu was talking about. 
So he doesn't mean just follow me to heaven and he doesn't mean just follow me, I've got really good advice. In fact, the words that Jesus uses, have a think, what does Jesus say about, like he talks about death to the old life and having a new life and putting on the divine nature of Christ and being a new creation, being born again. All that stuff is like major transformation work, transformational words, aren't they? So when Jesus says, follow me, where he is leading us to, he's inviting us to follow him into a whole new life. Just as we saw in those four stories in the gospel, a whole new life, but not only just now, but to join into the eternal life of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And um, this is really uh, way beyond my pay grade to explain. So I'm going to borrow heavily from C.S. Lewis. You might refer to him. He wrote The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. He wrote Mere Christianity. Um, I'm going to use a lot of the analogy I, I use are from him because my words, I don't have enough. Uh, so some, first of all, some religions think of this idea of sort of new age ideas that, that God somehow is this being and that we are somehow bits of him, like we put took out bits of him and we put them in us and that's like the spark of life or something. And then at the end of our lives or at the end of time or at some point, he sort of takes us and reabsorbs it into himself or something, sort of puts himself back together. This idea that like we're like little drops of water and at the end of our life, we sort of, uh, the drop of water joins the river and we become reabsorbed in God. That's a, the really general idea that people have, but that's not the idea that the Bible relays to us. And that's, I think we inherently know not that's not true as well because what happens to a drop of water that goes into a river or a sea? The drop of water is not the drop of water anymore. It's somehow annihilated, isn't it? And all through human history, whether people believe in God or not, they know that they have a sense of self. I'm me somehow and you are someone else and I have this sense of self within me. And somehow we just know that this creator who designed us and put this sense of self in us, he's not going to just kind of absorb it into this big blob at the end or anything. Somehow, God's plan is that we would become fully this sense of self that we have, would become perfectly and, and a healed and restored sense of self. So that's God's plan for us, that you would become, that I would become fully who God made us to be, but that requires being transformed. I hope you're staying with me. It's not really funny, but I've got some funny stuff at the end. So hang in. I'll read a little bit from the Bible. Peter. I love reading the books of Peter. Because he was there with Jesus. He was the one who like half drowned in the water and, and um, you know, made all these muck-ups and said all this stuff to Jesus. And then he failed and kept going and kept going. So I love reading Peter. So the second book of Peter, 1, 3 to 4. This is talking about Jesus. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And that's talking about not just this physical life, but actually the divine life. Somehow something to do with the life that God has, that eternal life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, by coming to know Jesus, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory. And because of his glory and excellence, 
He's given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption. So that's what I want to try and talk about today. And I know it's, again, beyond really my words to be able to explain it. So I want to talk about first, what is this divine nature? What's God like? What's his nature like? And then what's that got to do with us? And then what does that mean practically on a day-to-day level? So see, I'm going to C.S. Lewis now. C.S. Lewis says, <clears throat> let's look at the divine nature. For this I require a penny. Let's say, everyone know what dimensions are? I've got dimensions. We can move in time and space and up and down, and I can go sideways and forwards and back. But if you're only a one-dimensional creature, all you can do is move in a straight line. You can only go one direction. So that's life for a one-dimensional creature. Uh, If you live in a two-dimensional world, you can move in two directions. So we've got the line. We haven't lost the line. Amazing drawing, by the way. Ta-da! So now we've got a, a few lines in different directions, and they make a figure, which is a square. You're all with me. If we live in a three-dimensional world, now I require my um, 3D printers again, which I don't have. Then what we do is we're still working in lines, and we're still working in figures, and we're still using squares. But actually, we can make something else. As we draw those lines together, we can make a figure that is a solid object. We can make a cube. So as we get into more and more real dimensions or uh, complicated ways of life, We don't lose anything that we began with, but things become more real and more complex and more solid and more beyond our way to understand, to be honest. And so C.S. Lewis says um, the Christian account of God has the same principle. The human level is like this 2D way where we can draw squares. And in our lives, I'm a person and you are a separate person. You're a separate being. We are all separate. We're different people. I've got my own space and time over here, and you've got yours over there. But somehow, just like we're square, if we do other squares, we're all just squares next to each other. But somehow, in the divine life, like this God dimension, to use a metaphorical term, somehow it's different in that God is still persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but he's one. Just like a square, if we have six squares and there's three dimensions, it becomes a cube. You can't separate the squares out of the cube, but yet they're still distinct squares, aren't they? So we've got God who's totally different from us and we can't really understand. He's living this extra kind of life that we actually don't have any part of. And he's three persons in one. And Jesus said, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to call him today. And God existed forever. God always existed and God always did. And this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a community, a relationship. It's love. God is love. Just all the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit love each other and in perfect unity. So God didn't make humans because he was lonely or sad. He made us. He created us just because he's creative. God's just creative and he made us. The thing is, though, think about that. If you've made something... If you make something in your life as a human, uh, I mean, we make stuff 
to, to use as our slaves or as a servant or as a toy or as entertainment or as a thing that we're going to use, don't we, or eat or sit on or something. So the things that we make actually become our entertainment or our slaves. God, his Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit made us, but not to be his entertainment or his slaves or his things to, to watch and use. God, this Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit made us to be somehow equal with him, to share in the life that he has, to somehow leave this life that we have and grow and be in, on his level of life. Jesus said, I no longer call you my servants or my slaves. I call you friends. I've revealed everything that the Father said to me. So Jesus is inviting us to share into this, get caught up into this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit life. Because that's what it's all about. That's what Jesus is saying, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. He didn't mean just one that was really rich or one in Hollywood. He means a totally different kind of life that is actually caught up in the life that the Father and Son, Holy Spirit has that is eternal. The life that we currently have now, this biological life, is in a constant state of decay. It's in a constant state of dying. We need to constantly prop it up from the moment we're born with food and air, from the moment that we exist with food and air and um, attention and things. But the life that God has is in, a, in an eternal state. It never gets tired. It never will decay. It will never run out. And that's the kind of life that God is inviting us to in Jesus, and that's... Um, what I meant by the statue to the men, uh, C.S. Lewis says, this life that we have, this physical life, is like a shadow of God's life. It's like, it resembles it, but it's in the same way that a picture, a photograph, resembles a place, or in the same way that a statue resembles a real alive man. So it looks, for all intents and purposes, like a human, but it doesn't have any life within it. This biological life that we have on its own looks for all intents and purposes like it's alive, but it doesn't have that same life that God has. And God invites us to have that. C.S. Lewis says, this is what Christianity is about. The world is a great sculpture's shop, and we are the statues. And there's a rumor going around the shop that some of us someday are going to come close. In 1 John 5.20, it says, John says, We know the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. So you see, there's the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and we can never really understand, and they're two different, plus... We are separated from God because of our sin. We don't really understand what that means, but when we've turned away from God, we're separated and where there's no way for us to join into that life. The only way that we can join into that life is that Jesus came to us. In a sense, to use that analogy, he became a statue for two reasons. One, to tell us, to reveal to us what God is like because we could never understand it on our own. And two, Jesus said he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and to make the new covenant. So in a way, it's like he, he became a statue from a real man and he broke the 
bondage of concrete forever uh, so that we could follow him through death into that real life that he has for us, that he has left the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so that's why Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, Jesus says. And, you know, there's lots of people who say, oh, there's lots of ways to come to God. It doesn't have to be Jesus. It could be a little bit of every religion. But actually, that doesn't make any sense. The only way we can become united with God is if God makes a way for us. And God made a way for us through Jesus. Jesus is a son came and made a way. That's the only way there is to try and connect with God. So becoming like Jesus and becoming united to Jesus is it. It is everything. It is life's purpose. That is our purpose if we want to live. So if you're not becoming like Jesus, if you're a Christian and you're focusing on, I don't know, getting to church on time, saying grace, reading the Bible, but you're not becoming like Jesus, then you've taken a left turn somewhere. You've gone off on a tangent. You've missed the boat. You've, you've got distracted somehow. Becoming like Jesus, becoming united with Jesus is the point. It is everything. Everything else is a tool. Everything else in our entire lives is a tool to become like Jesus because outside of Jesus, there is no life. There's only this physical life, which is passing away. Is that making sense to you? When I began to understand uh, really like who God is and what Jesus is talking about when he says to, to be transformed in, into his divine nature, actually I felt like, I still don't really understand it, but actually I felt like my brain sort of, everything kind of tilted around like, an, like a, on its axis, like a compass that spun around and finally found true north. Like I went, yeah, now I get it. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus went to the cross. This is why I'm meant to live my life for Jesus. This is why we sing all these songs about surrender. We're saying, God, I am actually just this stone kind of statue, and I want you to transform it. And sometimes I'll let him do that, and then other days I'm like, but not that hand. Just leave that stone hand alone, Lord. But we have to continually go on this process of saying, Lord, I surrender that bit too, that hard part of my heart, Urgh, even that bit, I'll surrender that bit to you. That really hard part of my life, I'll surrender even that to you. Why? Because he wants to take it away from us? No, because he wants to transform it into this real life, this eternal life. So what I've been trying to say is there's the Trinity. We call it the Trinity, which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this perfect, loving, eternal life relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And our existence is an invitation to be changed into joining and uniting and living our lives with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we can't do that as we are. We require a transformation. We require every single part of our lives to be surrendered. So we're going from being a statue into a real man. And the only way to do that is through Jesus, to unite ourselves to Jesus and to follow him through the cross and through the resurrection uh, and into that life. So $64 million question, how 
do we really do that? It's all very well in theory, isn't it? But how do we actually do that on Tuesday? That's when it comes down to it. Monday, you might still be inspired by church, but Tuesday, waning off, how do we actually get the divine life of the Father, Holy Spirit caught up? Woohoo! Tuesday, what's going on? Where's my burrito? Okay, I'll tell you how we do it. All we need to do is apply the Word of God. My daughter went to the beach yesterday and put some sun cream in her bag. But guess what? She came away with a burnt face. (laughs) You can have sun cream by the truckload, but if you keep it in the truck, it's not going to help you. You have to apply it. We have to apply the Word of God. That's how we become like Jesus in James 1. Man, I love James. James is the brother of Jesus, and he didn't even believe in Jesus until after the crucifixion and resurrection. And um, then he became this leader um, among the Christians. And James is the one who said, let every trouble be an opportunity for joy. Gee, I love James. Okay, James chapter 1, 22 says, Don't just listen to the word of God. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself. If you listen to the word of God and then don't obey it, don't put it in practice, it's like glancing at yourself in a mirror and you see yourself and then you just walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for it. Then a change occurs. Has anyone ever walked into the bathroom and looked in the mirror and found spinach in your teeth and mascara smudging your face and hair all messy and kind of gone, huh, and wandered off? (laughs) No, you'd be crazy too. Something's wrong with your mirror. Oh, we take that information and we transform ourselves and we make ourselves look uh, we, we look different, presentably, yeah, different. So the same thing happens with God's word in the Bible. If you if you you're fooling yourself, if you read the Bible and kind of go, huh, look at this, and wander away and don't make any change, it's just the same as wandering around town with spinach and teeth when you know that it's there. What we're meant to do. You don't have to read all the Bible at once, just even one line. And, and, and what, what's meant to happen is that we see ourselves reflected as though in the mirror and we see the reflection that God wants for us, this, this divine life that he's calling us into, this being transformed into Jesus, and then we make a change on that. But the good part is we don't even have to make all the changes ourselves. Kind of like if you went and looked in the mirror and went, oh, man, I had a bad day in town today. And then a massive, like, hair and makeup team came in and, and did you off all good. When we look into the Bible, we see our lives reflected and we're like, oh, man, there is so much I have to change in, in me now. But then the Holy Spirit comes and he lives within us and he even helps us to make those changes. This is what it means to be caught up in, in the life of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're trying to reach God the Father and Jesus is standing beside us telling us how to do it and the Holy Spirit is within us uh, helping us to do it and leading us on and giving us that uh, beginning inspiration in the first place. 
So it actually doesn't matter how many Bibles you have. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses you have. It doesn't matter how many uh, different versions. It doesn't matter how many um, things you've memorized. It doesn't matter if you know all the original Greek and Hebrew and Latin. It doesn't matter if you wrote one of the books in the Bible or translated it if your name was King James. It doesn't even matter. All that matters is that we are being changed, transformed in our very nature. The statueness of us is breaking away. We are being united to Jesus. We have to apply the word of God. We have to do it and let the Holy Spirit do it within us. Otherwise, what are we doing? What are you doing? Why are you wasting your time on a Sunday morning when you could be sleeping in? There's no benefit for you unless you are doing the Word of God. Don't just be a hearer, be a doer. I have a very short, hilarious video that illustrates this point beautifully. See, we're up to the funny stuff already. So if we could have the lights down and Chris playing that song. What's the deal? What? I told you three days ago to clean your room. I know. Well, I'm glad you know. It's a mess. I memorized what you said. What do you mean you memorized what I said? Every word. Wait, you memorized that I told you to clean your room? Yes. And I learned how to say it in Spanish and in Hebrew. And if you want to know how to say it in Spanish, it's yo limpio el dormitorio. That's what? That's Spanish. 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 Okay. And I um, read a book. It's called Five Ways to Clean Your Room. It just really helped me to understand, like, what you said. And it was really, like, awesome. And I had friends from my small group over. It was so good. We talked about, like, the importance of a clean room and, like, what it's like to have a clean room and, like, how you should have a clean room. It was so good. And Susie came over, we, yeah, she came over and we like mapped it out on a sheet of paper on what my room would have been like if I, when I did clean it, and it looked really good. Like, it, everything was really perfect. Uh, okay, well, um, keep up the, keep up the good work. Thanks. I love you. Just hold me accountable. Our task is not just to read the Bible, it's not just to hear the word. Our task is to be transformed as we live out the word of God. We're becoming like Jesus, 
to be united with Jesus, to share in his divine life and not just his physical life that he's passing away. And I know people who are who would say they're a Christian and they go to church and they maybe even read the Bible and they say grace and maybe even say their prayers and then they live like there's no God. They live the absence of God. They, God doesn't come into any decisions. God doesn't come into any thought throughout their day. They make life choices with no thought of God at all. God's not in their future plan. God's not in any of their imaginings or understandings. And then they'll say to me, uh, you know, oh, I'm being so attacked and, oh, I just, um, God's just really not answering my prayers and where is God and all this kind of stuff. I'm praying and God's not even helping me. But what's actually happening is there's a major disconnect between what who they understand God to be and who God actually is. And uh, that flows from not applying the word of God, not understanding and reading and understanding the word of God. And they're really just caught up in this life and unable to be caught up into the divine life, which is the real life, man. That's the, that's the real life. I wonder if anyone here feels that disconnect in their life now. So how then shall we live? Just remain in Jesus and be united to Jesus. Apply the word of Jesus in your life. And now if this has been, I mean, this has been theology about the Trinity, so tough on somebody now. But I'm going to get even more crazy. This stuff is crazy. I don't even know if it has a theological term, but this stuff is crazy what I'm about to tell you. Because God's plan is even wilder. God's plan of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who's eternal and then he made us and then Jesus came to make a way that we could share in that eternal life. And actually it says we don't even know what we'll be like because this is all we know and God's going to give us new bodies. This isn't the wild thing, but God will give us some new bodies so we sort of fit in somehow in this 2D kind of world from our two-dimensional world. The wild bit is that God says that somehow this will happen with all of us. This is not an individual deal. It's not just you and the loving God. Somehow it's us. When Jesus was praying before he died, I think it's John 14 or John 16, Jesus is saying to the Father, Father, you and I are one, and I pray for all my disciples, and not only that, but for everyone who will ever be a believer, and I pray that they are one, just like you and I are one. That, that we would be so united that somehow we're the same as God is united and that, that you'll be in me and I'll be in, the Father will be in you and then it goes back and forth. It's really difficult to read, but what it means is if we go back to our illustration of the cube, somehow God wants us, when he talks about one heart, one mind, one body, one body of the church. What that means is that all of us individual squares will somehow have this life as a cube all together. Us, we're all going to be one being. God says one body, Jesus says you're meant to be one body now. We're actually going to be transformed and transformed as a community. Somehow that's the life that God has for us. That's crazy, isn't it? That's really what's in the lid of my brain. So we, 
we can never leave anyone out. We can never leave anyone out. We can never get caught up into how wonderful Jesus is to me. He's so wonderful. And there's some people are such ratbags and they're annoying and needy or whatever. You can't get caught up in that. What we're meant to be caught up in is the eternal life of God, which includes this crazy unity with each other that somehow we will be persons but one body. That's God's plan for us. That's wild. And we begin it now. Even though right now there's still like stone statues, we don't have that life fully yet. The Bible says we're still carrying this treasure around in fragile jars of clay. But we begin this life now. We begin this unity with each other now, this loving and caring for every person and connecting with God and living in his life now. To close, I just want to read from 2 Corinthians. (coughs) 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 to 20. If it seems a bit crazy, it is to bring glory to God. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. That's the stone life. In Christ, we, we die to that old life. We give it up. He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves will no longer live for themselves. This new life in Christ means we no long, I no longer live for myself. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. That's our goal, to live for Jesus, to say, Jesus, I refuse you nothing, to, to say, Jesus, I refuse you no part of my life, change all of me. Let me be transformed into whatever shape you have for me. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. We don't look at other people the same anymore. We've stopped evaluating people by their outward appearance and by how much money they have and where they come from and what they can do for us. We've stopped evaluating people from a human point of view. At one point, we thought of Jesus Christ merely from a human point of view how differently we know him now. Once we understand or get a glimpse into understanding that God is this eternal Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he wants to give us that eternal life, he wants to make us like him and live with him, how differently we view Christ now, how differently we know him. So this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, and the old life is gone, and the new life has begun. It begins now, and it begins by applying the word of God. If you want more of the presence of God, then apply the words of God. If you want more Jesus in your life, then you have to authorize him to be the author of your life. You have to allow him that space into your life. And we have to do it every moment of every day, not just at the end of the day for five minutes as we say to our Father, or a few minutes before dinner as we say, thank you, Lord, for this food we're about to receive. Amen. Every moment, every stony bit of ourselves 
We've got to give it over to God and he will not be annihilating any part of us. He'll be transforming it into who we are truly made to be. That's, that's the point of it, to become like Jesus. I just want to encourage you. I know it's been a bit of theology today and I've probably done um, a poor job in theology. I wanted to basically be that everything we said, but I just gave you permission of it. Um, it's, it's, just, it's a bit of difficulty trying to understand who God is, but it's got to be played out in real life because God's not just words, dry words that we read. It, it's an experience. Doesn't the Bible talk about taste and see, experience God? It's got to be an experience that we're living out, that we're becoming transformed, that we're taking on the divine nature of God. If we're not becoming like Jesus, then what are you doing? You're missing the mark. And let's encourage each other to become like Jesus and not condemn each other, but encourage each other all the more. Oh, let's just finish in prayer, and then we'll be finished our church service for this morning. Um, and please hang around, have a cup of tea or coffee, and grab your kids into church and, uh, and spend a bit of time connecting and, and beginning the cubiness of our journey together. So let's just close in prayer. Lord God, your ways are above our ways. Your thoughts are above our thoughts, and we actually never will be able to comprehend who you are and, and what you're like, but you revealed yourself to us in Jesus so that we could be united with Jesus. You revealed yourself to us and you say, give me your hearts of stone and let me give you a new heart, a new heart of flesh. So, Lord, I pray for every person here this morning as we go about our week, as we go about, you know, Christmas, as we go about our, our new year next year. I pray that you would just just sink these words into our mind and our understanding that we'd begin to understand who you are and what real life you have for us. Those words to give you life, life to the full. Show us what that means to you. Let us have your life to the full, God. Amen. Yeah, so that concludes our service. I hope you've really enjoyed your time at One Heart this morning and continue to do so by joining us for a cup of tea. Thank you.